Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. We are in Proverbs chapter 31 this morning. We are attempting to to consistently work through the new toys that we have. And they're not really toys. I shouldn't even talk about them that way. But projection and and, uh, streaming and all of that. So forgive us in advance if you're watching. And there seems to be a hiccup. Um, We didn't plan for that hiccup because we didn't know it was coming. But we are working through it. And you should have a clean sound and a clean audio or video uh, momentarily if it's not right now. So here we are in Proverbs chapter 31. By the way, uh, this is the last chapter of Proverbs. Yay. And uh, uh, probably going to start teaching the 150 chapters of Psalms next. So you've got that to look for. <laughs> probably not. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do next. So praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. For your word, Father, being the, the teacher to us as a living and active sword that works within us, separating between thoughts and intentions. We thank you, Father, that our heart is affected by your word. We also thank you, Father, that our life is affected. And so we just are so grateful, Father, for you, what you do in our life. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and the living word in Jesus' name. Amen. The last few chapters of Proverbs are always difficult because they end up suggesting to us they're written by somebody else and then people way smarter than me, probably way smarter than us, uh, begin to try and explain that to us based on history and all that kind of stuff. This book stands out by itself because it does not seem to be related to Solomon specifically. There's no historical record of this man in the first verse, King Lemuel. Some say that it might be Solomon, but because of the context of what it talks about, which I'll explain to you in just a second, it's likely not. And and so anyway, this is the last chapter. This is the one that men can use to beat up the the women in their life um, because the Bible, (laughs) the Bible says it's what you're supposed to be like. But keep in mind that this is an instruction for us to learn how to honor and how to accept the power, the strength, the, the, the uh, industry that's in the ladies that God gives to us. So instead of thinking, wow, my wife or my significant other doesn't measure up to this, um, um, part of that is how, and I'll show it to you, is how you as a husband uh, trust and treat. And so we'll, we'll look at that. So look at verse number one. It says, the words of King, King Lemuel, the utterance, some versions will say oracle and some will say prophecy. So this is from a mom to her son who is a king. Okay. His mother taught him. Now, again, no historical uh, 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 way for us, in my knowledge, any way to do that. So look at verse number two. And it says, what my son. Then it says, son of my womb. This is a general comment that generally means the firstborn. Now, if this is about Solomon, we would have to then assume that Bathsheba, who was Solomon's mother, did not have any children with Uriah. We don't, I I don't know, I couldn't find that. But then the next one, and son of my vows, this is an intentional statement about the vows that were made between the husband and the wife. And near as I can tell research wise, 
and, and you know, wanting to help you and, and kind of further your, your understanding of these things. And so uh, likely because of David uh, stealing Bathsheba away in the middle of the night, having her husband killed, and then marrying her as one of his wives, this probably doesn't fit. Probably she wouldn't talk. Uh, uh, Bathsheba would not talk this way in, in describing who she was and who her son was. So uh, uh, you, you might remember, even if she didn't have children, that the, the child that was fathered through the illicit affair with David initially uh, died. So anyway, likely not Solomon. But again, like we've talked about before, it seems to be included on purpose. And so here we go. Here's the wisdom of evidently a godly wife godly mother to her son and and hear this her son in a position of authority see one of the things that we miss is that when we're training our children we don't necessarily recognize the authority that they will walk in See, the bible says train up a child in the way he goes and when he gets old he won't depart from it there's a separation in in original language thing a child and old has a middle like teenagers and like young person. So when do we do this training? We do this when they're young. So what, what this, this mom has done and what this, this king has done in, in, in writing it down is teach us from a position that his mother obviously gave him about when he was likely going to be in authority. Now, don't assume that this is only set for kings. Assume this is set from a mom to a son. And all of your children have wired in them a, a biblical kind of authority. This recognition that says this is what God is saying to me. This is how this is supposed to work and, and all of that. So, so all of your children, all of your grandchildren have a pre-wired function from God. And so you have the opportunity to train into them or suggest to them, not only with your children, but also with your grandchildren, because you don't really know what they're going to do, but you know they're going to need to understand the spiritual responsibilities of authority. One of the most significant problems in the church today is not the lack of, of understanding of authority, it's the lack of responsibility to authority. Okay, so if God speaks to you, gives you something in your heart that God has called you to, you have a responsibility to that. See, it's why churches expect people who sit here every week to be involved in ministries. Why? Because there's a responsibility to the authority that God gives you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't just get to be a consumer of God's stuff on Sunday morning. That's meant to supplement and, and, and encourage and, and come alongside. But you have to take some responsibility in this. And that's what you're going to see in some of this stuff here. And you're going to see it addressed to the son and likely can make the transition that this was how he was instructed to see the woman that God brought to him. Now we live in a different world today. This was probably written in a patriarchal society where women likely weren't even educated and, and in some ways were almost seen as property. We don't have that today. 
So when you see this from God, you see this, this man spitting out what his mother said to him as an opportunity for him to operate in the responsibility of the authority that God gave him as a, as a, as a man, as a king. That, does that make sense to everybody? Because see, if you don't get this, you'll just read this and you'll use it as ammunition, right? You'll look at the industry, the industriousness, the industriousness of, of the, the woman that's sat here and say, well, my wife doesn't do that. See, this is how we're supposed to see them, which means you're going to have the responsibility to see how God has wired them so you can cooperate with what God has put in them. And amen. Okay. So he says, she says to him, do not give your strength to women. So he's going to, she's going to give him three basic cautions here. The idea of womanizing, the idea of, of, of giving yourself without thought to women, the idea of, of alcohol and, and intoxication and some of those kinds of things, and the idea of the responsibility and authority to handle justice, or more specifically, injustice. These are the three things that are happening between verse number three and, and basically verse number nine. So let's go over them. Verse number three. Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. If this man is being trained to operate in a position of authority, which we can then say, well, we've been trained to operate in a position of authority. When God deals with us, when he shows us things, he wants us to use who he is in us in a position of authority with responsibility to others. You have a responsibility past the responsibility that you have to yourself. Okay. When you're young, you may hope to have a big house, drive a nice car, and make lots of money. And then life happens. Right? And all of a sudden, through the graciousness of marriage, a child who needs every bit of your attention and probably most of your money hits the ground running. All right. So in our authority, we look at ourselves and say, oh, yes, let's use God's stuff to build this little mini kingdom for me. And then God gives you a child or let's do it in order. Maybe you thought that way, especially as a young man, I'm going to do that. And then God gave you a wife. A wife who may not be willing to shop at Walmart. Or buy clothes at the Goodwill store. Does that make sense? I mean, I get a haircut every month. It costs $12. $12. If you've got long hair, I was sitting in, in a, in a, uh, uh, I don't remember where, where this happened. But anyway, the longer your hair was, the more it cost to get it fixed, to get it cut. And I'm going like hundreds of dollars in some cases. And then if you're going to style it or color it or permanent wave it or whatever, dear God, right? And yet, you would complain if your wife looked like, a, you know, a, a sloppy slob. Amen. Here's my point. 
We have the authority that God gives us to make the most out of our life, but then we run into what God considers making the most of our life looks like, which is a spouse, which is children. And so the idea of, of footloose and fancy free and always having money in your pocket, that doesn't necessarily come into play. So she says beforehand to her son, don't give your strength to women. Now, he's not talking about to any woman, but he's talking about to an uncommitted situation here. You know, stop being an alley cat and nor your ways to that which destroys kings. There are certain things that will take you away from the authority that God puts in your life. Right? You see that? Now, I'm not saying God doesn't use sinners or anything like that. God does, obviously. We're all an example of that. And we always wonder, or maybe we don't always wonder, but we should. Why would God use someone like me? On the other hand, we have a responsibility to live the best we can within the boundaries that God gives us. And I will tell you that whenever you step outside of the boundaries that God gives you, there's almost always a price to pay. There is a consequence just living outside the boundaries of God. And so there you go. I don't know how much of this to give you, but in this thing, when he's talking about women, you, you need to know psychologically or physiologically that when you are in an illicit type of an affair, God wired your body to release a, a, a neurochemical called oxytocin, which is released from skin to skin contact. So if, if you give yourself to an illicit woman, you will be giving yourself an opportunity to release a chemical that desires to be released again through skin to skin contact. It's why there are times where people who are in illicit affairs can't keep their life straight because their body yearns for that high that comes from that being released. Are we together? And so when you have that, see, we didn't have all that information and all that, all that understanding from before, but I'm telling you that it happens in our life and then we don't really know why we keep going back to the same things over and over again. Your body is set. I mean, how many of you have ever considered yourself at times an adrenaline junkie? You just like that feel, man. <clears throat> well, your body releases, is stimulated to release chemicals based on that so that you'll want more of it. So when the mom says to the son in Proverbs 31, do not give your strength to women, she is speaking from the very depths of God's heart because it's so difficult to break that connection that God designed you to have under boundaries. And everyone said, amen. And that's why we <clears throat> look at young people and, you know, uh, I mean, if you think back to the, you know, the last week in that chapter, we said there is a generation. Yeah, we know that generation. So that's what this says. It's, it sets up for destruction. That's verse three. Now look at verse number four. It is not for kings, O Emulel, or uh, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law. Notice that before they actually knew what we now know, 
is that that kind of, of, of intake, listen, you can drink if you want, okay? But remember, <laughs> there are boundaries. And if you're given to strong drink, you will overstep the boundaries. And it won't do me any good to tell you, you shouldn't do that. You know, how many ever watched any of those TV shows where they've had a hostage negotiator? Have you ever noticed that? And, and they always want to connect with the hostage, with the guy who's got the bomb strapped on his chest. Okay, here's what most of us want to do. This is parenting style and the whole works. We say to the guy with the bomb, that's not a good idea. You're going to die and you're stupid. Okay, now that's how sometimes we parent with these things and we give them information that doesn't connect with them because there's no trust in those words. We have to connect with them. So when she says to him, you shouldn't do that, there has to be a connection, again, a responsibility to the authority that we have. Who's actually running your life? Did somebody say God? Way to go. That's what everybody wants to say. But let me show you something. God has boundaries in his word that he says to us. Many of us are aware of them and want to live by that. We believe that God has spoken them to us. But unless we receive them and choose to do them, God is not running our life. We are. So there are three people, three segments of things we listen to. We can listen to God. Ask yourself this question. Can you change God's mind? Generally not. Not a good plan. We listen to people. Are the people you listen to, are their minds willing to be changed? Generally, you don't have any authority over them. And we listen to ourselves. Of the three groups that we listen to, three people we listen to, the only one who can be affected in changing how they talk inside themselves is you. You live for your own control. You'd like to let God control you, but we don't often do it unless we accept, right? Come on, how many of you know that laws are meant to put boundaries on you, but how many of you have come up with your own creative interpretation of law? See, the law doesn't affect us. Other people's words don't affect us. In fact, if they make a law we don't like, we call the people who make the laws idiots. Why? Because we're not going to be affected by their words. But this says this is not good for you. And the only person that can control that or can have an influence on that is the guy that's talking inside your head. So it's really important that we trust and operate through the voice of godly reason, godly counsel, and personal sacrifice. By the way, that's not easy to choose, right? I don't like to take vitamins. I think vitamins smell bad and taste bad. But all of my grandkids take really cool vitamins. Why? Because they don't smell bad and they taste good. They're like eating candy. And so I now buy, the only vitamin I take is vitamin C. Don't, don't come give me a lecture about that. I know I should be taking all kinds of things. As soon as they make them in a gummy and cover them with sugar, I'm in. <clears throat> Why? Why? 
Well, <laughs> I kind of do. <laughs> but, but you see, so then the other thing that I hear, here's my, see, I'm talking to myself. Here's my other thing. I buy those kids vitamins and you got to take 72 of them to get an adult voice or a, a, adult uh, 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 dose. Thank you. And so I talk to myself and I say, well, I ain't spending that much money. How many have ever done that? Had that conversation with yourself. That's the voice that brings reason and direction into your life. You can say it's God. It should be. And we should all be. But we will only do what God says when we choose it and essentially enforce that in our life. Right? I mean, how many of you know that the Bible says you shouldn't let that, that evil word proceed out of your mouth? Well, good luck with that. How many of you know if you get that mastered, you probably shouldn't even think that way? Well, good luck with that. See, that's what the Bible says, but we're all in a process of turning our own authority over to the responsibility that God gives us to operate the way he tells us. See, it doesn't happen magically. We have a responsibility to accept the word of God in a way that changes how we live. And God isn't asking for your opinion. He, you will not validate his truth by agreeing with him. His truth is truth, whether you agree or not. And so when this mom is teaching this son, she says, here are three things that will just derail you as a person of authority. Women, alcohol, and verse number eight. Open your mouth for the speechless. In the cause of all who are appointed to die... He's talking about justice here. He's talking about injustices and so forth. A person of authority. Now, please don't hear this in a political way. Okay. Don't make this political. Make this a responsibility of biblical justice in the world. We have a responsibility to use the authority that God gives us as a believer to choose the responsibility to function in the areas where there's injustice. So for an example, you are a part of a church who supports a ministry that regularly rescues teenagers and younger from the sex trade in the South Pacific where they've been sold into this for a bag of groceries by their parents. It's ugly beyond ugly. So what do we do with our authority? You have authority given by God to to, to, to administrate everything God gives you, all your finances, all that kind of stuff. You can choose to spend it however you want. But we have a responsibility to consider the boundaries that God speaks into our lives. And so occasionally those boundaries come with, hey, help here. Does that make sense? And so he said, don't be speechless or open your mouth for the speechless. <coughs> for those people who have been done wrong. Open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the case of the poor and the needy. He's beginning to show us that in our authority, it's not meant just to be used for us, but rather to be used in a way that affects the justice that God offers. Okay? So that's what those verses are about. In verse number 10, he switches or begins with the next phase of how his mom spoke to him. Look at verse number 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? Please understand that you likely will not find what you're not looking for. 
Come on, think about it. I mean, sometimes, surprise, you know, you're looking through the junk drawer where you keep all the junk that you think you might use someday and you're surprised by what you find. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. If you're not looking for a moral relationship that will help you not be destroyed, that will bring into you the strength that you know that you're weak in, He says, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Now, instead of looking at the girls, men, pay attention. He's asking you to value what God gave you above the value of precious gems. Much of the honor that happens in marriage has to happen through perception. You have to start with a higher assumed value of what God gave you. Let me show you that in kids. How many of you recognize that the way your children act is largely a part of your influence? The generation that we think is lazy is our children. Well, now we exclude them, right? Because they're our children. We never think that way about them. But you see, the reason that they act the way they do or expect the things the way they do is because of the dinnertime conversations and the way your house ran. Isn't that encouraging? You're going, wait, I built in this thing into my children? Well, at least partially. The other part is they still have a responsibility for the wiring that God has revealed to them. And it'll be progressive. God reveals wiring over time, right? When a two-year-old begins to experience his wiring, he may say to another child playing in his toy box that the toy the other child picked up is mine. And if that doesn't work, that child, by wiring, may run over and whack the other kid. And your parenting is on full training display. Um, Please don't hit your little friend with the tractor. Okay? Right? You know, I mean, again, is this the worst possible? No. Um, your, Your child could get so frustrated with his school that he takes a gun. There. See, those people who do that have had some form of parenting. Now, so that you can process this, you need to recognize that you have a responsibility to see this by God's instruction, not by their activity. They're more valuable than rubies. This mom is teaching her son how to see his wife. That's how I think we should should process this. Look at the second verse. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. The heart of her husband safely trusts. This is a perception issue that we have to work on. You have to know that your spouse has your back. Safety. Trust her. The heart of her husband safely. You can't have secrets and hidden agendas inside of all of this. Right? She's saying, here's how to recognize this, and here's how you should treat it. I've always wondered when people, (coughs) excuse me, 
taught this on Mother's Day to show mothers what they were supposed to be like when it's really about how the men should be seeing their wife. It really is a Father's Day message. But what do we do? We teach it on Mother's Day because we almost always have it backwards because oftentimes we want to use what God says as a reason to tell other people what to do. That's why churches function and focus on sin. Stop it. Right? Rather than focusing on what God does. All right, Tracy and I are reading through the Psalms together. And we read a Psalm the other day that, that talked about how God was angry at sin. And many of us as New Testament Christians still believe that. God is not angry at sin. Want to know why? He provided a solution to it through Jesus Christ. So if there is an emotion in heaven, it's likely grieving that people will not accept the solution of his son to sin. You say, well, I just believe God's angry at sin. Okay, so here's what that does. God's so angry at sin that when you see it, you want God to punish them. Um, Jesus took my punishment on the cross. <laughs> Our desire to see someone punished is for them to be taken outside of the cause of Jesus Christ and be dealt with like an Old Testament person. Let's take them outside the gates of the city and stone them. That'll teach them. No, it won't. What we'll teach them is a position of godly love. That's another story. Look at this. Verse number uh, uh, 11. Her heart, the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. Notice that your trust in your spouse produces gain in you. I thought you might like that better. Verse 12. She does him good and not evil. Listen, when you and your wife talk, when you and your spouse talk and you don't get your way, whichever one of you, but in this case, your wife does you good and not evil and you don't get your way. It's highly possible that God sent that person into your life to keep you from making a bad decision. We should see that as a position of honor. Amen or not? Am I twisting this too much for you? And she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. I will point out to you that that seems to be a one and done picture. But there you go. She seeks wool and flax. Now, remember that in context, they didn't have Target. So if you were going to have clothes, they were likely going to be made. So what she's Talk, what he's talking about, what she's talking about to him is that these ladies that God gives us will look well to the ways of their house. That's, it come, it, this goes on and, and, and you get down there and you actually see it. That's what he says. And, and so you see that this is a picture of how we treat them because of how God's wired them. She seeks wool and flax, willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. Now, these, these comparisons and these things are really there for us, I believe, for us to see this in accordance. Keep in mind the context. This is a man writing about what his mother, a woman, said to him. Okay? So you, you got to, she's instructing him 
It would be a completely different thing if this woman who's mentioned this mom here was writing to her daughter, Queen Such and Such. But she's not. She's writing to the king, the man. And so you have to, you, you, you ought to keep that in context. Um, verse 17, she girds herself with strength. Please don't minimize the strength that God wants you to see in the virtuous woman that he gave you. You say, well, she's not like me. You ought to be real glad because you would divorce yourself if you had to live with you. Come on. <laughs> I saw that. I read you. I read you. You said that's not funny. <laughs> you have to ask yourself, what's it feel like to live on the other side of me? See, that's what's being encouraged here. Are you all getting this? It's only it's the only Proverbs in the whole book that has a that has a completely different focus. It's just awesome. She girds her strength. She girds herself with her strength. Sometimes caring, tenderness, submission, however you need to see that are great strengths. They need to be honored and built. Notice it says in verse 17 and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Do you understand that sometimes what we need to do is to tell our spouse that who she is and what she does is awesome. Because see, we're not necessarily wired to figure out by ourselves that we're, that we're good. And so he's, he's being instructed. Does that make sense? Her lamp does not go out by night. We won't understand this very well if we don't remember this is pre-electricity. Right? And so her lamp, meaning keeping her home safe, right? If your house is dark, have you ever heard the instruction? It may be even from your insurance company, you know, that if you leave, you know, plan to have a light turn off and turn on. It makes you look like you're at home. Okay. So that's the kind of a biblical principle. This represents her ability to keep the whole house safe. You, right, you, you don't want to cross a protective mama. Okay, you got it. Verse number 20. She extends her hand to the poor. Please understand that in logic, men will deal with poor people differently. Why? Because we've worked ourselves to the position that we are in. And we don't understand why other people don't just do that. Get up, get a job, and work hard. Only we just don't know the circumstances. And so oftentimes what you will see is a greater level of compassion, right? This is where your strength comes in. All right. Your kid comes home from school. Shirt torn, bruise on their cheek. Okay? And mom says, wait a minute. This is not going to happen again. And, and a, a, a wise husband might just gently grab her arm to hold her still for just a second and have a conversation. Because she at that point is the angry mom who needs some compassion. On the other hand, when she sees something that we need to be involved with, she oftentimes will grab our hand or our arm and pull us towards that position of compassion. Do you see how that works? I've, I'm... I'm all about the working together of this. And that's kind of what this is being, being said. 
Skip down, if you would, to verse number 25. <laughs> it says, strength and honor are her clothing. Strength and honor are her clothing. It's an interesting metaphor. She wears these things. If oftentimes you do not provide some of this strength. Come on, men. Probably most of us, with the exception of maybe Dale, you know, or, or, you know, I don't know how old you have to be, but I remember it was almost expected when we were having children for the husband to attend the birth. I thought that was a crazy idea. If men had to have children, there'd be one. <laughs> Why? Because of the strength that our gals have to do, how, to do what God wired them to do. I mean, no thank you very much. Not doing that. And remember the chemical I was talking about early on about skin-to-skin contact? The minute they have that baby and hold it, that thing, that, that chemical is released in their brain and, go, and they say, let's do this again. What are you, nuts? Right? But, but okay, so what I've told my children and what I'll tell any young husband, when you have a child, it'll change your life and you will not see it coming. Because when you hold them, when you put them in your arm, this thing that's been wiggling around in your wife's womb for nine months is now out and looking at you. And one of the things that happens in child growth and development, are you ready? I have a degree. (laughs) Is, Is the effect called mirroring. When your child looks up into your face, you ever notice how after they're born a couple days, pretty soon they, they, they see your face and they just lock on. Why? Because they're born with a trust that the person who picks them up is the person who cares for them. So they learn really early, right? If they scream, somebody's coming to get me. That's the trust they have. If I'm hungry, somebody's coming to feed me. If I put the doo-doo in my pants, somebody's coming to clean me up. This is perfect. But as parenting, what do we do? We begin to, to, to teach them by mirroring. And they'll follow and they'll smile at the same things we smile at. You'll teach them to be scared of the same things you're scared of. That's, that's how they develop. And so in this thing, it says strength and honor are her clothing. We have to oftentimes provide that clothing. We recognize it to our children, right? Nobody wants a mamby-pamby kid. And so you teach them sometimes to suck it up and make it, right? Come on, buttercup, let's get this done. And so we teach them that, but we teach them to be self-sufficient, which is not exactly what God would have them to be. Does that make sense? Are we together? And so he's saying, listen, the, the mom is saying to the, to, the, to the son, here's this thing. It says, strength and honor are her clothing. Sometimes we're part of that provision. She opens her mouth with wisdom. Please don't devalue what comes out. See, he didn't, she didn't say your wife will always be wise. She said you should see or contemplate what comes out of her mouth is wisdom. Hear it. Really hear it. Right? Verse number 27. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Please don't hear this wrong. This is not you making sure that your wife gets the woman's work done. This is not the bread of idleness. 
Okay, it says she won't do that, which means her actions should be seen by us as purposeful. The reason. So you all know what we're going through with with our with our daughter-in-law. And when they treat her, her immune system goes down because of of the, the, the chemo that she has. So one of the things that we do with the boys is take Clorox wipes and clean the light switches and the door handles. Now, maybe you've never thought of that. But the only thing that she would touch without thinking is the light switch and the doorknobs. And we need them, best we can, to not have the booger germs that come home with every kid who goes to school. Right? We need that to be different. And so we pick up some of these duties out of love and care. All right, so if the mom does it, why does she do it? Is it because she's a germ freak? Do we dishonor that? Or is it because she loves her family? See, see the difference in how you see it? And that's how, I believe that's how this is, this is written. Uh-oh, my clock is running. I see what the three minutes is for now. I have one minute and 56 seconds to shut up. <laughs> Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. Your children will learn how to treat women from how you treat your wife. Amen. Her husband also, and he praises her. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Listen. When you get to be old enough to recognize your frustration in life and you think this isn't the woman that God gave you and all that kind of stuff. And 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 probably, you know, someone half her age would maybe be prettier and more charming and whatever else. Just keep in mind. Just keep in mind that God wants you to see this situation differently. Having a woman who fears the Lord can take care of the ravages of aging. That's what she just said. That's what God wants for us. Amen? And the last verse. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, hear this. Women weren't allowed in the gates. That's where the leaders met to determine the direction of the family, patriarchal society. Come on. And so here's what, here's what this is. How did anybody's works get mentioned in the gates? The husband had to be talking about her. So when you're out with the boys, how do you talk about the old lady? Careful. How do you talk about the ball and chain? How do you talk about the domestic dictator? You gotta be, you gotta be aware of these things. Because what happens is, if what we do when she's watching is motivated by the word, but when she's not watching is motivated by self, ask yourself the question again, who's controlling your life? You are. And it's ugly. Did I give you a new view of Proverbs 31? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you, Lord God, for all that you do. 
how you speak to us, what you show us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.